Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Points for Brew podcast with me, Stephen Carter. And this week I am joined by a very, very special guest indeed. Um, very honoured and privileged to have uh, Vinny Chilotso of Russian River Brewing Company alongside me. Vinny, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate you reaching out. No, no, I, I appreciate you guys uh, You guys coming back to me. I must admit it was uh, almost on a bit of a, bit of a whim that I, uh, <laughs> I reached out to you guys like, they'll probably get asked these things all the time and it's just like no no he's he's far too busy got far too much on his plate to even even entertain this sort of thing so uh i appreciate you you taking the time and and, absolutely looking forward to our conversation yeah good me too me too so uh so you're recording live live from the brewery um i believe is that correct yeah i'm at our uh windsor california facility we have two two locations uh one in santa rosa california and one in windsor both the towns are, you know, 10, 12 miles apart. Um, Santa Rosa is our uh, brew pub and kind of what we're mostly known for. Um, that was our, that, that place, that location opened in 2004. And then our um, new, uh, more modern state-of-the-art production brewery and second restaurant is in Windsor, California, which is, like I said, is just 10, 12 miles north of Santa Rosa. We also have a restaurant pub here. Um, much larger 75 barrel brew house. We also have a five barrel pilot brewery here, um, open top fermenters and cool ship and barrel room and all, all kinds of fun toys. But, um, but our history actually goes back uh, to another location here in Sonoma County. Um, and just to give some geographical uh, location, we're about an hour drive north of the Golden Gate Bridge, so north of San okay. Francisco, so maybe 60, 70 miles north. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think think everyone knows the Golden Gate Bridge. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, we the brewery actually started, Russian River Brewery actually started out on a sparkling wine uh, facility, a winery facility out in West County, on right on the Russian River called Corbell. And Corbell uh, here in America is the largest sparkling wine producer, um, and they also are a pretty big in the brandy business as well and along the way in 1997 they opened a brewery and they hired me to run the brewery for them um, i had a brewery previous to that in southern california called blind pig which is where i made the first double ipa back in 1994 but uh, after a few years of doing that i sold my shares um, my then uh, well started blind pig with natalie as a girlfriend we got married so we moved up to sonoma county uh, took the job at Corbell running Russian River. And after about six years um, in 2003, they decided to get out of the beer business. So they gave me the opportunity to take the brewery over. And um, so I traded my severance uh, package um, when I was leaving Corbell. So I didn't didn't walk with any cash, but I uh, walked away with the Russian River brand, the handful of beer names that we had at the time, um, the main one, including uh, Pliny the Elder. Um, and then Natalie and I raised uh, money from friends and family and opened the Santa Rosa Brew Pub in 2004. Uh, that got followed by a, 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 our first production brewery in 2008, uh, which we eventually moved out of and opened our new state-of-the-art facility in 2018. And that's where we're talking, where I'm talking to you from today. Excellent, excellent. I imagine there's uh, probably very few opportunities in life where you go, I'm, I'm looking to get out of the beer business. Here's a, here's a brand and here's a, a business and a brewery. Would you want yeah, the to? funny the, the funny thing was is you know my my background before brewing is winemaking. There's okay. a little wine region in Southern California, so kind of equidistance between uh, Los Angeles and San Diego. Mm. And uh, my parents planted the first vineyard uh, there in 1968, so before yeah. I was even born in '70. So I was kind of born into the grape uh, wine business, and then I transitioned to beer. 
Um, so Corbell had offered me a winemaking job and I, I turned it down and my, uh, my boss, Harold was, was good enough to, uh, help me through and negotiate, uh, you know, getting the, uh, the, the name and, and carrying it mm -hmm. on. And, you know, it's, it's rare that, uh, I mean, okay. In the big business world, Corbell's not that big, but here locally, they're a pretty good size, you know, business. Um, yeah. I mean, they sell millions of cases of, of, of wine a year. And um, and they're big and it's not often the big guy helps the little guy. And it's nice to know that that still does go on. Uh, we still have a friendship with Gary Heck, the owner of Corbell. They still all the taps out at their little deli are still Russian River Brewing beers. So um, we still have a strong relationship with them. And owe, owe a lot of our uh, success to Corbell and them being willing and open to make that uh, that business transaction with Natalie and I. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And the thing that always sort of amazes me is that obviously craft beer in in america has this definition doesn't it of you know of the sort of scale and quantity of beer production and obviously that's quite for us over here that's quite a large production amount compared to what is would consider obviously considered a craft brewer here so you guys obviously you are but obviously you produce you know quite a lot which in your eyes may not be a lot but considered here it's like wow that's that's huge that's enormous in comparison so you've got to kind of brew on a different scale like you say sort of the big guys to you were probably you know quite a lot bigger to to us in some respects yeah and i you know and i think and that's a that's a really good kind of comment question point is that you know what is craft beer you know it's i, I happen to be on the board of directors for the brewers association okay. when the craft beer definition was um created mm. Um, I wasn't just on the board. I was tasked with leading that. Was, that was a public relations marketing mm -hmm. committee thing. And I was the head of that committee. Um, so I was tasked with, you know, herding cats to try to deal with that thing. And it was funny because for about 80% of the period when we were writing it, we actually, we Russian River Brewery wouldn't have fit the, the definition. Okay. I, I took the stance that I'm just going to be the, the sheep herder, you know, and I'm a or, or yeah, cat yeah. herder and, and let the chips fall where they, where they fall. And in the end, we did end up fitting in because of, and the reason we wouldn't have fit in early on was because of the use of sugar. We use a lot of sugar and particularly in Pliny the Elder, mm. you know, not a lot per batch, but over the course of a year, we, yeah. we certainly do anyways. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the, going back to the, you know, what's a craft brewery, it's, it's really, to me, it's quality driven thing, you know, 100%. yes, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company is, you know, the, the I don't know, second, third largest craft brewery and, you know, fourth craft brewery in America, whatever they are. Mm. Um, but they're also the most, you know, technically minded as is new Belgium brewing company is, mm -hmm. you know, super technically minded. And, you know, those, those breweries have outgrown probably what from a volume standpoint you would call craft, but, you know, like for me, Sierra Nevada is sort of the, the pinnacle and what I, you know, hold, our standards too. And then what, you know, that's what we want to be as a company with those kind of quality standards and the way you take care of your employees and whatnot. And, um, you know, they, they do it better than, than anyone else. And they do it with, you know, no regard to money. It's whatever it takes to make the best beer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in that case, I still think that's, that's, that's craft beer. Well, yeah, of course it is. Like you say, and ultimately they wouldn't be, like you say, at the top of the tree, if they weren't concerned with the bottom line of, quality of the product and the quality of you know the the experience for the staff and the customer you know without putting that money in you know in that investing into the the quality they, they wouldn't be sat at the top where they where they currently are now would they so yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. so um so obviously you are 
obviously the you know the the owner of, of Russian River um, and the the brew obviously with Natalie obviously co-own it. How yeah. sort of how hands on are you now in comparison to where you were before? And obviously sort of taking <laughs> the last sort of twelve to eighteen months into consideration with COVID as well. Has that seen you sort of taking even more hands on approach as well? Yeah, you know, so uh, when we were out at Corbell um, before Natalie and I actually owned the brewery, I was the only employee. I did all the brewing. I did all the cellar work. I mean, we weren't, we weren't that big, mm-hmm. maybe 1,500, 1,500 barrels a year. Mm-hmm. So that's um, U.S. barrels, 31 gallons to a barrel. Um, and, uh, and so I did everything. I mean, I even delivered beer. I gave tours of the brewery sometimes. <laughs> I did everything. And then uh, when we, when Natalie and I took over and opened the pub in Santa Rosa and reopened Russian River Brewery version 2.0, I was the only brewer for the first uh, amount of time. We eventually hired a, a home brewer who helped me as an assistant. Um, I was doing deliveries initially before we hired a, a delivery guy and Natalie was running the business. And then we had someone else doing the restaurant, which now we do all of it ourselves. Um, and, you know, over the years we've, we've grown and I've had the give up my brewing boots over time. But even once we opened the, the production brewery in 2008, um, our old production brewery location, I was I started out doing all the brewing, all the cellar work. Um, I had one uh, guy that we hired that helped me. And then in time, we built our staff as we grew. And we've grown very organically. That's always been our, our, uh, our kind of mindset until we got to building our dream brewery in 2000 or, you know, 2017, when we started construction, mm. that was a big step. So we had to take a pretty big leap in production to be able to meet our, um, you know, our loan covenants and whatnot. But now, nowadays, I don't necessarily brew on our 75 barrel system here at the production brewery or our 20 barrel at the at our Santa Rosa pub, but I do run our whole uh, pilot brewery, our whole research and development okay. brewery, and that's a little five barrel system with four fermenters, and um, it's it's just a, a place for us to test new recipes, test new ingredients. You know, it could be a new malt, could be a new hop, could be a new yeast, maybe a combination of hops for a new IPA, mm. and we've built a brand around that um, th- these beers called R and D, so capital R lowercase n and then big case d and and r&d standing for research and development and and the logo is a picture of the brew house kind of sketched out and and the idea is to give our customers at our two pubs just kind of a quick glimpse into maybe what's coming next these beers maybe will be released under the r&d name like it could be you know r&d ipa whatever that may turn into a brand or if we really like it but we only want to make it a one-off we may release that to the market mm. uh, but brew it on the big system under the R&D um, moniker and so um, but yeah in general it's a way for us to really um, just stay engaged stay relevant uh, test learn it's also become a really nice spot for us to make barrel beers. Uh, we have a beer club, so I'll do okay. special blends. So it's a nice way for us to just make like two wine barrels worth mm. of beer that we can then move to our funky part of the brewery where we make our wild beers and age it out. And, and it's, but it's, you know, doesn't, it's not a huge giant amount of beer. It's just a, a small, small volume. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's, that's the interesting thing about you guys is which is, I think obviously you'll probably agree in some respects is you touched on Pliny, Pliny the Elder earlier is that almost it's certainly from our point of view here in the UK is that's what you guys are known for and almost what everyone 
gravitates towards is that it's almost like treated as the the holy grail of sort of like the west coast or the american style ipa of that sort of classic yeah. classic style do you, do you find that because of how well pliny is received and and perceived to some extent that the experimentation or your other beers sort of are almost a detriment to that or do you find that oh my god it's pliny whatever else they make must be great because of how great pliny is you know um it's an interesting question. The other day, every week we have a manager meeting and uh, um, Natalie went around and asked the managers a, a specific question and I won't go too deep into it, but um, mm. our production manager, Stephen, um, you know, brought up like, you know, what makes Russian River, Russian River. And he talked about innovation okay. and, and, and that was his, that was his comment. And it was really, and it's really true. Like, and what he said was like, yeah, people ask me all the time, you know, what it's like working at Russian river and, you know, and, and having this iconic beer like Pliny and, you know, his answer was his answer to these people is you'd be, you'd be shocked at how many tweaks we're throwing me throwing at Pliny. Mm. Um, we're, we almost always have, um, a batch of Pliny running, a single batch of Pliny running in the main production brewery. These are 75 barrel runs. So um, a pretty, pretty decent amount of beer where we're just making a small tweak to the recipe. Probably 99% of the time that batch of Pliny will get blended away into a, a much bigger batch mm. and will blend it away a little bit at a time. So, you know, maybe only 10% at a time will get blended into a bigger batch. And this is, this isn't anything, this isn't rocket science in brewing. <laughs> breweries do this all the time. You just don't hear about it. And yeah. breweries don't tend to talk about, you know, that that kind of experimentation. We'll also do experimentation on the on our pilot brewery first. So we'll start with a, a, an idea or a concept on the pilot brewery. And if we like it, we'll then take it to our right to our 75 barrel, skip over the, the 20 barrel system because our main lab is here too. And we want to get mm -hmm. a lot of lab data points. And, and we'll make that change. And, and we have more controls on the bigger brewery than we do on our pilot brewery also. And we have more data collection and that sort of thing. So we're, we're always making small tweaks um, to, to kind of stay relevant, if, if you will, and not just be complacent with, you know, our place in, you know, the, the brewing history books that Pliny was, you know, one of the early uh, double IPAs and what have you. And, you know, the foundation of the recipe is still the same. Mm -hmm. It still has a heavy focus on Simcoe hops and then second Amarillo with a bunch of other hops peppered in underneath it. You know, it's still a pretty simple malt bill. It's, it's only, it only has uh, two malts in it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've changed the base malt over the year, mm -hmm. but that was for good reason to try to keep the color where it is. So we switched to a higher color base malt maybe four years ago. Mm -hmm. And then that allowed us to use less specialty malts, which uh, in end gives us better shelf stability. Along the way, we've switched from a crystal 40 lobby bond malt to a Munich uh, 30 with the idea that the roasted crystal malt um, gives you less shelf stability mm -hmm. uh, because of the melanoidin effect when and during the roasting process. So, you know, those were, you know, switching a base malt that was maybe a two lobby bond to 2.3 doesn't seem like that big of a deal, 
But when 7% of the 8% of alcohol is coming from malt, that extra color really compounds and we can really um, reduce, we're able to reduce the amount of specialty malt we added just by doing that. Mm. And, um, you know, the Munich was really added just to give color, but we know it wasn't going to give the negative shelf stability. So, you know, so those are, those are things that I think, you know, as Natalie and I jokingly say, we run our business with a little paranoia, you know, we're always looking over our shoulder, making sure that, you know, we're not, we're not saying like we're the best because there's so much great beer, but just to make sure that we keep our quality uh, and our, and our standards and our innovation. And, and if the consumers are looking for more hops out of their IPA, then, then let's, let's give it to them, but let's still keep it in the context of what Pliny is. And that's a beer that has a, you know, heavy focus on, on Simcoe, which means grapefruit driven notes, um, pine, uh, lychee and then all these other hops support it the amarillo supports it with stone fruit type um, aromas and flavors like peach and, yeah. and uh, apricot and then all the other hops just just support it and but you need a you know you need a firm malt foundation for all these hops to sit on and um, and although you know two pounds per barrel dry hop is is almost a little pedestrian now in america to some <laughs> beer consumers it's still a, a sizable amount of hops and, um, and uh, you know, the aroma on Pliny is just absolutely beautiful when you can drink it fresh and, you know, or it's been kept cold and, and it hasn't, you know, been run through the ringers. We have some pretty high distribution quality standards that we, you know, live by as well and ask our distributors to do the same thing as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And it's ultimately, you know, you've got standards and without sort of you being in control <clears throat> of how those are then delivered, kept, stored, it kind of it doesn't matter how much effort and time you put it into at your end, if it leaves and it's sat warm somewhere, it almost falls apart. Doesn't it? You know, that end product yeah. is not going to be how, how you intended it to be. If it's not yeah. kept in, in the, in the right conditions. We have, we have written into every one of our distributor contracts that they must keep the beer at, um, you know, 38 to 42 Fahrenheit kegs and bottles. The only exception would be our sour barrel aged beers, which we know those can, can withstand the, yeah. Their, you know, room temperature storage, but yeah, you'll often go into a U.S. distributor and, and interestingly, uh, big breweries like Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser, they have those same con thing, uh, you know, lines written into their contracts as yeah. do many very large craft breweries like Sierra, uh, New Belgium, Bells, Firestone. Um, but when you get down to breweries that are 50,000 barrels or smaller, like we're at, um, you usually don't have that ability to do that but yeah you'll walk into these warehouses and just see just hordes of warm beer sitting out or maybe it's at, in the 50s <clears throat> and then if it's one of our distributors you go into the the true cold box and there's there's the russian river beer with all the other guys yeah yeah i suppose it's much sort of more of a a bigger deal for you guys over there than it is over here with especially your climate being sort of as warm and, and temperatures get as high as they do, especially on your sort of side of side of the country on that coast, you know, whereas us, it's pretty mild year round. So if it's yeah. sat out, it might be sat in 12, 13 degrees. Whereas there for you, it's probably what, th between 30 and 40 degrees, something like that. Yeah, sometimes. Abso so, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or sometimes more. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be sat, sat sweating away, which is, is not good for anybody involved. So, um, but coming back to what you said, Vinny, about obviously you guys trying to stay relevant and obviously sort of almost making continuing improvement to Pliny um 
obviously the 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 Hayes craze is what it's it's called over here. I don't know if it's yeah. sort of the same for you guys yeah, over same there. Same thing here. Yeah. yeah, I think um, we were maybe a little bit ahead of of you all, but I yeah. don't think it matters at this point. It's uh, seems to be. Uh, quite popular amongst brewers and consumers yeah so i think it's a, a global thing now isn't it almost so it's obviously you have come from sort of a background of when brewing was a bit more classic and hence the beers sort of like pliny and sierra nevada etc etc um as this sort of haze craze has gone along got more popular and almost snowballed has, has that affected you guys in any way has that sort of made you think more about obviously like you say people want hops giving it to them but in terms of more hazy juicy new england styles and obviously you're known for more the sort of classic west coast but has that almost tilted your sort of opinion towards that and made you think about it differently or yeah you know we um obviously we watch market trends and see where they go the the whole hazy ipa thing um you know certainly had been drinking uh beers from hill farmstead and from the alchemist heady topper and you know, doing trades with those guys and mm-hmm. they would be out visiting us um, and, and starting to learn a little bit about it. Um, you know, there's, there's been breweries doing hazy beer uh, for years here in America. They just weren't hazy IPA. Yeah. You know, there's a brewery up in the Northwest called Georgetown. Um, and they've, I can't remember the, uh, the name of their pale ale, but I mean, I've been drinking it ever since my very first trip to Yakima for hop selection, mm. which was many years ago. And that was a, just a cloudy, hazy, amber, pale ale, whatever yeah. it was. So, but, you know, getting to the IPA, the hazy IPA thing, um, you know, I got it, it was growing uh, at a point when we were building our new brewery. So we didn't have extra capacity to make one, even if we wanted yeah. our, our main two main uh, IPAs, Blind Pig and Pliny were in taking up, 80% of our capacity. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at our old production brewery, and then we would make a little bit of damnation, our Belgian, and then about 10% of our production at the time was sour beer. And then we made a, uh, you know, newer IPA called happy hops every once in a while. And that was everything. So by the time we got Windsor opened, uh, the Windsor facility open here, um, you know, it was in full effect. Um, we eventually started making um, a couple, one that we actually distribute called mind circus and, you know, I, I approached it a little differently, though, where most of the well-known hazies, especially the early on ones, were finishing quite high in, in terminal gravity and mm-hmm. had a really huge chloride charge to them to have that really thick and sweet and almost viscous mouthfeel and sometimes almost being like an aspirin because there was so much water chemistry. Yeah. Um, we We approached it more like a West Coast IPA. It's like, okay, well, let's let's figure out the, the grain bill. How do we first make hazy beer and keep it stable? And, and I tell you, for those brewers that are watching, like they know what I'm saying, it's not easy. It's mm-hmm. so much easier to make clear beer because in time, gravity wants to take effect. So you need to figure out the science between the, the polyphenols and the hops and the proteins and what really triggers it. Because mm-hmm. we had plenty of batches early on where, um, where, where it, you know, it, it was hazy for the first week and then it just fell clear um, in, in the bottle and eventually can or keg. Mm. So, um, so I, 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 I took a little bit of a different approach where often, you know, you'll go to another brewer that's making the style. Um, interestingly, a lot of the early adopters of, of hazy IPA were pretty secretive about um, what they were doing. Mm. Um, but I, I went to my friends who make Belgian 
uh, beers, Belgian white beers, yeah. just like uh, I remember like Matt Brennelson from Firestone went to his German friends who are making, you know, vice beer and like, okay, well, how do you, how do you do this? What do you do? Mm. And that's not related to yeast. And so that was the first step. And then once we got that grain bill put together, um, tweaked it, worked on it, you know, figured out the hops, um, definitely went with more of the new world progressive hops. So mine circus is heavy on strata, a little bit of mosaic. Um, there's, uh, there is some Simcoe in there to get a little of that nice citrus uh, note, a tiny bit of Nelson to just get that really big, mm. you know, Sauvignon Blanc pop and a, and a couple other varieties that I'm, I'm missing. Um, but we made ours dry. And um, so, you know, where most of the well-known hazies are finishing at, you know, lowest 10, 12 gravity and more or less, some of them are at 10, 16, 10, 18, which is way too sweet for me. Those, those beers just aren't drinkable and digestible. Yeah. You know, ours, ours finishes down at two and a half uh, Play-Doh, 2.6 Play-Doh. So like 10 point, 10, 10 point, 10 and a half uh, specific gravity. So that's quite dry, but it makes it so much more drinkable. Yeah. And we, ours also has a much bigger uh, bitterness uh, quality to it. Some of that's coming from the uh, bitterness that we get from the humulinones, from the dry hopping. And then some of that is a straight up bittering charge at the beginning of the boil. A lot of the, you know, the new world uh, hazy IPA brewers here in the States don't even make competitions until the whirlpool. And mm -hmm. so we are yeah. still making uh, hop additions in the kettle um, because I think it adds mouthfeel. I think it adds a, a richness, a hop richness that you maybe can't uh, quantify uh, on paper, but I think when you taste it, if you had that same beer without it, you, you get this just slight full fullness on the palate from the hops, not a malt thing, but a hop thing. So, um, so we've, it, but it's not become uh, the hazy beer in our portfolio. It hasn't become a mainstay. We could go months without making it and then we'll bring it back and, and Russian river fans really like it. And they're really excited about it, but it's not something that we keep out year round. Um, there was maybe a little blip in the radar where we had maybe a two month period where it spiked. And then I think the Russian river consumer just went back to drinking Pliny, blind pig and, and happy hops, which is happy hops is a really cool beer. Cause it's a, I call it a progressive IPA in that it's using all these new world varieties. It's, it's heavy on mosaic. In fact, Happy Hops was the very first beer made in America using Mosaic before it was called Mosaic when it was HBC 369. And I bought the very first bale of Mosaic from uh, Select Bot Botanicals Hop Breeding Company, Jason Peralt. And, and it was a 100% Mosaic pale ale. And then over the years, Happy Hops turned into a IPA. But when I made that, I made it before we made our hazy uh, mind circus. And the idea was to make a... IPA that had all that juicy, big, umptuous hop notes in the aroma and flavor, but that was clear. And, and, it, and, it, and I jokingly called it my not so hazy, hazy IPA. Cause you know, put, we, we actually did blind tastings with other hazy beers and you tasted uh, happy hops next to a hazy. You couldn't tell which one was the hazy and which one wasn't other than the full palate. If you were just smelling them, they both just had like super distinctive, big tropical fruity over the top citrus and all those other things that make, you know, that, that are kind of known for hazy and juicy beers. Yeah. But that's, um, that's a beer I prefer to drink because it's got a little bit higher calcium load to it. So it's got a little bit of that more drying and, and it's got more, you know, um, the sulfite from the, um, 
from the hops and um, so anyways yeah yeah no it's it's interesting what you say because i mean i must admit that sort of my drinking preferences I, I i love my sort of my hazy juicy ipas but the west classic west coast like pliny and things like that is what i it sort of does it more for me sort of like you said that bitter pine dry finish yeah. is is what i enjoy and i know a lot of brewers like you say they try and avoid that when they make a hazy ipa or a juicy ipa is that try and drive the bitterness down as much as possible but even even in them i always i always say if you i always say if you just add like five more bus maybe 10 tops five to a hazy to most hazies out there they would be so much more drinkable yeah yeah well that's it like you say some of them are just really really sweet whereas it's for me is that yeah. bit in, uh, even in the the hazy ones the bit of sort of finish the dry finish for me is i i look out for it or really enjoy it which i know some people don't but that's that's something that i look out for even in those ones so it's but it's interesting you say that you had that interesting spike of Oh my God, Russian River have done a, a hazy, and then uh, I'll go back to playing your yeah. blind pig. Or... Yeah, and, and it's interesting because it, for us, it almost works better to keep it as a seasonal rotating beer. Mm. Mine Circus, our, our hazy, and just you know, I'll I'll we'll throw a batch into the schedule. Yeah, say every other month we'll do you know two, three, four batches. You know, that's a sing, that's a a double or a quadruple tank for us. Um, so it's just one tank worth. And, and it sells really fast. So for us, it's become a part of our ancillary support beers yeah. that we throw out once a year. We do our Imperial Porter once a year. You know, we do some other beer once a year. And this is just a beer that happens to be an occasional beer we make six, eight times a year. And, um, you know, and, and I think that's a part of the business, too, is that, you know, being... Um, connected to our distribution team because we do a lot of our own distribution where we have a really strong connection with where people are at what they're doing what they're drinking and how we as Russian River can fit into the overall you know portfolio of beers that we make uh to fit into the world of beer out you know in the general public yeah yeah well that's it and obviously you want to like you say stay relevant and keep keep producing beers that people are going to buy ultimately but if if people sort of are yeah. interested in it more when it's a a once a year thing or a twice a year thing then like you say it almost is, yeah. plays into your plays into your benefit in terms of your scheduling i suppose and your brewing schedule and having to commit to doing more of it or fit it in somewhere it's you can plan it much yeah. easier because you know I've got to brew it this time this year, and that's that's it done then, isn't it? So there's and there's definitely a trend uh, towards brewers going back to West Coast IPA, mm. and and there's this new idea of what's called a West Coast um, hazy, which is basically what Mind Circus is, mm -hmm. um, where they are you know really bringing the bitterness up, so it tastes like a West Coast IPA but it's got the haze. So it's got a little more of that juicy note to it, you know, because of the hop oils getting in, you know, kind of mixed entrenched in the, um, you know, in, with the proteins and the, in the, in the proteins with the polyphenols, which cause the haze. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that, that's kind of been fun to watch. Um, there's, there's a couple of breweries in the Bay area here that are, that are doing that, but I, I, I keep hearing in the, the beer media here in, in the States, like, you know, with the hardcore beer geeks in, in that kind of those, those kind of uh, arenas where it's like, Oh, you know, West coast IPAs isn't dead. 
or bitterness is coming back. And I, I kind of take offense to that because, you know, Pliny and Blind Pig have never slowed down. Never gone away. They've, they, <laughs> they never went away. We never reduced the bitterness on those beers. Mm. And, and those beer, you know, Pliny is, can be bracingly bitter. And it's funny when we get brewers that come to work for us and they maybe are from the East Coast, they're shocked. Like when they drink Pliny, it's like the way that locals drink Pliny, which is always two weeks or less in the bottle. Mm. It's bracingly bitter, especially that first sip, but that's always been a cornerstone of Pliny and, and we never lowered that even as hazy beers took off and bitterness dropped um, in IPAs in general. Um, we, we, we stayed true because to me, bitterness is like such an important part of the flavor and, and, you know, overall contribution to beer, you know, for, and I, I jokingly said there was an assault on bitterness for the last four or five years. You know, and, and, and like I said, I'd hear West Coast IPAs are, you know, aren't, aren't dead. And it was like, well, they never went away, you know, at least here at Russian River. But that, you know, even even when you think back to a classic, like English, yeah, classic English style, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, an ES, an English ESB or, you know, pale ale, English pale ale, bitterness was like such a big part of, yeah. of the mouthfeel. And, you know, to me, you know, I, I remember my first trip uh, to, to England and being in the pubs and I, I was 18 or 19 and um, just getting a, a bitter like that fresh from the, the hand pump. And to me, it was that that the drinkability is the bitterness and that sessionability is, is what leaves you, you know, wanting more. And, and I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing is that it's the, the, the story goes as what it's told is that obviously the C first version of Sierra Nevada was the intent of making a, a similar or a replica of uh, like Timmy Taylor's Landlord, which is like you say, a classic yeah. in English bitter almost. And it's, it, yeah. it's crazy to think that this whole craft beer thing in America and now the world stemmed from wanting a pint of bitter in, in, in the States, basically, pretty much, which I don't think a lot of people realise or understand, but it's it's crazy when you think yeah. about it, is that's where it started. And it's like you say, it's not that it's going back to it, but it's always been there because that's where it that's where it started from. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I'm, we make an ESB called Dead Leaf Green and, uh, I you know, it doesn't sell great, but we always make it once or twice a year just because it, it's a style that I like to drink, mm -hmm. our brewers like to drink, and, and there is a small market out there now for it. But, um, but yeah, and, you know, and, and a part of the whole thing here in America was, you know, like the, the, the development of the Cascade Hop, you know, which was first, you know, released in 1972. And, it, you know, so you have um anchor who used it in in anchor liberty yale in 1976 i think it was and then sierra nevada opens in 1980 and makes it the cornerstone you know and then from there you had centennial come out eventually in the mid 90s and chinook in between and you know now all these crazy breeding programs and you know mosaic equinox simcoe you know, Amarillo, blah, 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 you know, Citra. I mean, how, how could you miss Citra? Um, but, um, but, you know, the interesting thing about Citra is that one of the hops that was used to breed into it was Brewer's Gold, like wow. the, the, probably the most widely used breeding hop 
in the history of the world make to make English and American hops. I mean, the 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 background of Brewer's Gold is is a, is just it's a crazy um, story to 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 research it and and know that that is that is that hop is still contributing today in the breeding program and the most widely used hop in the craft beer industry is Citra. Is is that it has some Brewer's Gold and you know Brewer's Gold contributed to to that, and but it's it's these hop varieties too that are driving the innovation of craft brewers and the ability to get more out of your hops and make bigger hoppy beers and more unique flavors. I mean, you know, now there's breeding programs in New Zealand and Australia, South Africa. I mean, it's 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 really cool to see, um, you know, how the hop industry has helped drove what we as craft brewers do around the world. Yeah, well, that's it. And like you say, there's so many different <clears throat> varieties that you can choose from different parts of the world. And there's different types, you know, you can use the the leaf or the, the you know, the cone, and then there's pellets and now there's oils and things. It's just, it's a constant sort of sequence of, of innovation and change, which again, like you say, it makes you guys as brewers change your approach to brewing and how you uh, use these products and what they bring to your beers and how it changes those beers. So it's like you say, it's a constant revolving door almost isn't it if there's this new hop and this new product etc cetera, etc cetera. it's it's almost infinite yeah sometimes you have to you have to be really restrained and not just jump on the bandwagon you know the next hop because you're like you know our customers know what piney tastes like mm. we're not we're not making those small tweaks i talked about earlier just to, to make piney taste different it's to make it taste the same but better yeah and so and so like we're not going to deviate like el dorado came out when we were, when Pliny was, had hit its peak of, from capacity at our old brewery, mm-hmm. there was nowhere for me to even use Eldorado because the hop didn't really fit into the, like the profile of Pliny or, Pliny or Blind Pig. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't really use it until more recently, just for fun. So it's just, just an example I like to use that, you know, just because a new hop comes out doesn't mean you have to jump on the bandwagon. With that said, I do want to plug my my new favorite hop is Talus, and we we actually bought the um, the the sponsorship rights to it through Hop Reading Company uh, for the first three years until they released it. And it's a hop that Jason Peralt had been showing Natalie for Natalie and I for four five years before we did this, and um, it really uh, has this beautiful grapefruit pink grapefruit note with undertones of sage and a little bit of mint and it's just a really really cool cool hop and that's that to me is the hop to look out for in the future yeah yeah well we've started seeing beers using the talus hop in it but like you say it's as brewers get more familiar with it and know how to use it and when to add it and how how we want quantity to add it etc it's it's like you know because sabro did you know that's been all sort of the rage these last sort of 12 to 18 months as well as it which i really liked it gives that sort of real sort of coconut and pineapple taste to it yeah but there'll always be something like say new to watch out for and understand more of how to to best apply it yeah in fact talus is um sabro's daughter Mm. and um but talus is a lot less polarizing if you will than sabro Uh, but sabro is really interesting because how most brewers are using it now it has that over-the-top coconut tropical blah blah Mm. blah to it but how a lot of brewers are using it is it is super rich in geranial. So if you throw it in, in the whirlpool, mm. you can uh, often, if, if you can get biotransformation, you can get it that to con- convert over to a beta citronellol and get more of a citra uh, note to mm. it. And it does a really nice job. Um, so like we, what, what little Sabro we use, that's how we use it, yep. but we don't use it in the dry hop anymore. Cause it's just, it's too over the top. <laughs> like you say, it's very divisive. I know sort of my, my brother and I, 
pals that we have a, a beer group with and drink with, it's they're all anti Sabro and I'm I'm the only pro Sabro one uh, in the yeah. group. And it's like, but I I, I I like it. But like you say, it's very, very marmite, isn't it? It's very divisive. So I, I fell in love with Talus so much I built a beer around it called Apical Dominance. And and like 80, not 85% of the hops are Talus, but then we throw in a little bit of citra, a little crystal uh and a little bit of comet and crystal is an underway underutilized hop that if you can get the right um picking window it's got this really great grapefruit mm. uh, notes to it comet's an old world hop that was actually uh, got released right after cascade in the mid 70s mm. um, but anheuser-busch poo-pooed it because it had a quote slight citrus quality note to it <laughs> and it's made a comeback so it's kind of like a, a throwback uh, you know, like antique, you know, like they talk about antique roses. So I jokingly call it like an antique hop. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it's really cool. It's, and, it, and it's really has taken off and it's a public variety that any grower can, can grow yeah, here yeah. in the States. That's interesting. Like you say, the poo poo, it's like, it actually tasted of something. It's like, it actually had some yeah. flavor. So no, we, yeah. we actually don't yeah. want that. And whereas it's now just, yes, yeah. like, give me the hops with all of the flavor, mm -hmm. please just give me, give me all the fruit, all the grapefruit as, as much as you want. So, but yeah, that's, that doesn't surprise it, me. And it also kind of begs the question, like, what other hops got, you know, shit can yeah, yeah. back back in the day? In fact, I'll tell you a quick, quick little story. When I started homebrewing in 1988, I was living in San Diego. I just, I guess it was yeah, 88, 80, 89. I um, had, you know, finished high school, moved down there to go to school, work, just, you know, get out of the house. And um, I started homebrewing and there was this little homebrew store that my roommates and I would shop at. We walked in one day. And there were, you know, in the, there's little baggies of, of hops, two ounces of hops. Mm. And there were two hops there. One was labeled CFJ90 and one was labeled CFJ4. And they were, and we asked about them and the owner says, oh, well, the uh, hop union, the company we buy our hops from has this, these, they're experimental hops. This is like how, what happens? Hops go through this experimental breeding and these are, you know, close to being released. So I, they both were amazing. I personally like CFJ4 even more, um, but as it turned out, CFJ4 didn't make it. CFJ90 did. CFJ90 turned out to be Centennial. Right. Okay. And so, and that was that was in 1990, probably mm. 89, 90 that um, that that I saw that. It finally got released a few years later. CFJ4 for whatever reason, didn't make it. Maybe it had some disease issue or whatever. I mean, typically by this point, if it if it's getting out to be sold, it probably has made it past disease and pest issues. Mm -hmm. But like, I still like, I've never been able to find what happened to it. The germ plasma is, is gone. Um, Steve Dressler, they're now retired brewmaster for Sierra Nevada. Uh, he and Ken are the only other two people along with one hot person up in Yakima that even remember mm -hmm. CFJ4 uh, along with myself. And, um, and it was, it, you know, people talked about Centennial being an even bigger version of Cascade. I thought CFJ4 was even more, was more impactful, but it was probably ahead of its time mm. and, and it's gone. Yeah, no yeah. one will ever know, you know, what, what came of yeah, that. It's been resigned to the history books, but like you say, if that had come out, you know, yeah. now over the last sort of five or 10 years, people oh. would have probably raved about it. it would have been, been, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we, you know, in a, in a sense, what we, what we as brewers internationally, if we're going to keep asking the hop growers for these, you know, over the top flavorful hops, although I don't think we're going to ever get more flavor than we're getting now, you know, with hops like Citra and Mosaic um, that have just such high, you know, aroma profiles, 
we need to start, they need to start looking at other picking windows. Like that's one of the unique things about strata is that strata is an earlier picking window because you only have so much of a picking window for hops. Mm. And so if like right now, the biggest issue with mosaic and citra is that their picking windows are almost identical. And so you either have to, it's, you can grow both, but it's, it's more challenging to get them harvested because the picking window is exactly the same. And if you start picking early, you're going to have underripe, underflavored hops. And if you pick them too late, you're going to have too much onion garlic. And, you know, which is what happens when you let hops sit longer. And mosaic is already prone to some onion garlic when you use a lot of it. So you're just compounding it even more when you're when you're pushing the harvest date back. Mm. So, you know, that's one of the things hop breeders here are looking at is how can we utilize, how can we get hops that mature earlier? You know, what, what can we do to breed that in? Yeah, yeah. Or can we, can we figure out how to grow a hop that matures more slow that won't go onion garlic and it gets later in the hop in the, the harvest window. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is it. And there's, there's so much science that goes into it now, isn't there, you know, and then obviously you guys get to sort of almost see and witness this firsthand with the sort of the, like you say, the, uh, you came the, chief that do their hop breeding things, you know, you're, yeah. you know, relatively close to them and, and see these sort of things. So I must, yeah. I must imagine it's amazing to, not only be in the same country, but to, to go visit these places and be in close proximity, see them, see them growing and see the process and then not only see yeah. that, but then taste them and then use them. It must be, it must be very interesting and quite exciting as well, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, you know, brewers have access now in America, America, have they have access to these experimental hops. Like, I mean, Yakima Chief has usually has four or five of them available every year that are in more of the advanced line. Mm-hmm. Typically of those four or five, maybe one would get pushed forward if that, um, to some degree, they're, you know, they're released just, I mean, they're interesting hops, but it's because it's a really cool factor um, for, for the, you know, the growers to, to be connected to the brewer. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, you can sponsor a hop. Um, if you, if you like an experimental hop enough, you can sponsor it and you would, you get 80% of the, the one acre every year for three years. Uh, my favorite thing that Natalie and I do every year when we go for hop selection is go out with Jason Peralta into his um, single hill uh, field. And that's all a single hill or elite um, field or somewhere in between. But basically it's one to seven vines of each uh, experimental hop. And it's all by um, the row and the number mm. because there's too many hops out there to give them numbers. So when you're in the single hill, it would be like, for like uh, Simcoe was originally row two, hill 56. And that's the name of our 100% Simcoe beer. So that meant that Simcoe was the second row over and the 56th hill in. Mm. And, um, and so they go through and rub these hops and, and walking through there with Jason Peralta, it's like him talking about his kids. He has, you know, <laughs> he, he may not say his favorite, but he's got his favorite. He's talking about their <laughs> personality and what he gets. And, and it's, it's just an amazing experience. We've, we've even done it under the moonlight, uh, which, which has been fun. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it, it almost is like, say when it's, that's his business, that's his, his lifeblood, you know, they almost are his, his children, his little babies out that they're going yeah. to ultimately, you know, if he, releases bad hops or a poor harvest or what have you then obviously people are going to start reducing what they buy from him so ultimately he's got to look after it and get it right hasn't he so you know the the full experience has got to got to be there so um i don't want to sort of dwell on this sort of for too long and he just almost it's almost remiss to um to to not discuss it but obviously the last 12 to 18 months obviously have been difficult for everybody uh in, in one sense or another due to obviously the the pandemic with covid19 but in terms of where you were before the pandemic to obviously then obviously the the bit of 
the shitstorm that was the, the pandemic yeah. and how the things changed to where you are now was sort of yeah. are, are you almost back to where you were pre-pandemic or mm. exceeded that now where where are you currently at at the moment yeah we're we're about where we were um before the pandemic started mm. which is was kind of our goal for 2021 yeah. so um so we're you know happy with our production numbers happy with, with sales. You know, I think, um, you know, the hardest thing for us was having to well, first furlough mm. and then eventually, you know, lay off, you know, for the first month or so, Natalie and I just paid out of our pocket. We paid everyone their, their full, uh, salary, whatever it was, even though we weren't open, mm-hmm. um, other than our production team was continuing to brew and package. And then eventually we got some, you know, support from the government and that money run out. We did have to eventually, you know, lay off all of our hospitality employees. And, you know, some of them we were able to reuse, <clears throat> excuse me, back in the warehouse. But, um, but for the most part, you know, that was probably the hardest part because they're, they're family to us. Yeah. And that's, that's a big deal. Mm. Yeah, of course. You don't want to lose anybody, do you? So, but the, um, you know, it was also a, our business model was such that we were able to uh, start a direct to consumer. Uh, it was already it was already legal in California for us to ship direct to consumer, so that wasn't an issue. Um, we just had to put a program together, but we ship merchandise all over the country normally. So all we had to do was just you know put it on our website, mm-hmm. get some shipping boxes figure out a protocol. And that's what we did. We, even before um, the state completely shut down, our, the Northern California counties had already shut down. So we had already started direct to consumer shipping. So we were a little bit ahead of everyone else. We have just right. enough distribution in stores like Whole Foods, independent markets like Whole Foods and whatnot that, um, that we are already working mm-hmm. with. So people were going, you know, they were, you know, pantry loading, they were buying as much everything as they could, as everyone remembers. And um, anyways, long, long story short, we actually made it through okay. Uh, I think the biggest change for us is our restaurant here in Windsor is still closed on Mondays and Tuesdays because we just can't find enough staff to open back up. You know, truth be told, those were our two slowest days okay. anyways. So being closed on those days isn't the end of the world. Mm. Our pub in Santa Rosa is a, is a lot more grounded yeah. and a bit of a machine. So it just kind of kept rolling with to-go food. And as the state changed their regulations, we just kind of went along with it. And, um, and, and so, you know, we've mm. settled into this, you know, routine of, of uh, you know, someone gets COVID, you know, we're, we, we mandated it uh, before the, the government actually mandated that larger employers had to have their employees vaccinated. So we're hundred percent vaccinated. It was just something Natalie and I believed in and thought it would make running the business easier, which it is. Um, Cause at least if someone goes out, mm-hmm. you know, that everyone around yeah. them work has, hasn't been, uh, has, is vaccinated. So anyways, you know, those, those are the things you got to deal with. We have a great, you know, HR director that helps us with, with that sort of thing. You know, obviously the sad part is all the families that have had to deal with, family members, you know, dying of, you know, something just, just such a messed up situation. And, you know, the, the hits keep coming with these variants, but, um, you know, honestly, that's small business, you know, you get, you get stuff thrown at you every day and and you got to learn how to pivot and change. And, you know, I mean, brewing is the same way, you know, you get a Mm -hmm. fermentation that, that sticks and doesn't finish, you know, there's, there's going to be compounding effects, you know, okay, if you're a home brewer, you just let it sit. But for us, that's production that, you know, maybe that, that beer is already sold and it's already scheduled to be delivered on a, you know, shipment, you know, someday, 
so, I mean, to me, the whole thing kind of all goes hand in hand and we're, we're kind of used to this as brewers because, you know, like with hop creep is a great example. You know, we, we deal with hop creep a lot, which is, mm, yeah. you know, the secondary fermentation that all this dry hopping we're doing is now causing. And, you know, that we, for, at least for us, our yeast, California ale yeast, which is the Chico Sierra Nevada strain, um, you know, that, that yeast doesn't do really well where, where certain um, like hazy strains do better with it. And, um, and so, you know, we have to manage that. And every once in a while we get a batch that takes longer to, to age out. And, and that's just how it is. And I spend a lot of time in our pilot brewery working on hop creep experiments and trying to figure out ways to, um, to, you know, obviously we don't know how to get rid of it, but at least mitigate it. And um, we've, we're doing some, our own in, internal research on some components of the hops. Uh, particularly the hop seed and that there's some contributions there. Um, so mm. eventually we'll probably have a paper published uh, later this year on, on what we're working on. So that's pretty cool that you sort of managed to, to do that as well. Like you say, to actually lead almost your own research and be able to say, this is what we found. It's that, that must be sort of quite an interesting part of the job beyond goes way, way beyond just making beer. Put it that way. Probably so. my favorite. It's my favorite thing of what we do, mm. you know, and 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 it's I love doing stuff in the pilot brewery, you know, for this stuff. We even we even have a part-time employee. She's a, a grad student at UC Davis, uh, University of California Davis mm. is like the premier winemaking school in uh, the in the United States. And then there's two premier uh, universities that have um, brewing departments, Davis is one of them. And then Oregon state is the other with Tom Shellhammer up mm. there and they do a lot of hop work, but yeah, we have a, we have an employee who's a grad student there. She, um, she works from over there and all she does is research for us. And, um, and, you know, she's doing her grad work on, on hop creep as well, but, um, but it's, you know, gives us the ability to have someone that's at that university level and can mm. contribute to um, our conversations about hop creep and maybe something she comes across will will uh, help us or maybe something we do is something that she can then use in, in her work as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. Like you say, somebody who's sort of qualified to that level to then can take it or expand it a little bit further. It's only, only gonna benefit you guys in the long run, isn't it? So. Yeah. And it's not something that every brewery can do, no. you know, or can afford. And, and we get that, you know, mm. but I'm a, I'm a firm believer in like paying it back. You know, it's, it's no secret that Ken Grossman is, is my mentor and someone that Natalie and I, you know, he's, he's a close friend of ours now, but um, he's someone I've, I've looked up to even before I, I knew him. And, you know, a part of that was the, the giving back the, that, that spirit that Sierra Nevada has was always giving back on a technical level or at any level within the industry. Mm. And, um, you know, if, when that goes away, I think that's when the soul of craft beer goes away. And so I think it's really important for, you know, as maybe we're the generation after Sierra Nevada that we pay it forward to, you know, to now newer breweries and, and hopefully they, see the contribution that we are able to give them and they can pay it forward to the next generation. You know, I, I remember uh, Sam Calgione at one of the craft brewers conference, he gave the keynote, uh, Sam from Dogfish Head. And he, he made the great line that the craft beer industry is 99% asshole free. And we, we may be like at 95 or 96% now, because there's, there's definitely some, there's some folks out in that. the industry, yeah, yeah. some outliers, but you know, it's still, that's what makes our industry great. And the yeah. fact that, you know, we, we had a, we had a, a, did a big fundraiser and uh, 
in, in 2017 when there were big fires that raced through Sonoma County and 5,000 homes were burned. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. And, and we did the Sonoma Pride beer and we had breweries in, in England, um, you know, support us and brew a beer, make donations. I mean, it, it just shows just how global the craft beer community is. And, and really it's a pretty tight, tight knit group. And, um, mm. You know, that's that. I hope that never goes away. No, it's no, really, really, really important. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like, so obviously, the main the main focus is the beer, but it's like beyond that, it's sort of this this world and this scene. It's <clears> it's sort of the the mainstay, really. Because if the people weren't nice, and you know, people like yourselves from breweries and businesses and what have you, you know, because you know, without being sort of genuine people and open and just you know having you know solid business and and being welcoming, ultimately the beer can be amazing. But if you yeah if you're not you're not good people then it doesn't matter it counts for nothing because people instantly just be like well i'm, yeah. I'm not interested anymore yeah. so well, no, well said 100 percent. no I, I completely agree so um obviously coming back to what you were saying about your your, your challenges um during the pandemic and obviously you sort of pivoting to to direct to customer um obviously in the states it's much more difficult for you guys to do that because obviously you're sort of your archaic prohibition laws that are still in many states and states having their own yeah. governance and guidance on that so yeah. how did you approach that and is there still some you know complications and places that you still can't yeah. ship your beer to because of those those laws yeah so there's only like eight or ten states that you can technically legally ship beer to and i'll be honest the eight or ten states really are they're not like big mainstay states mm. it's not it's not New York. It's not Massachusetts yeah. where Boston is. Um, you know, it's not like whatever, you know. So the lucky for us, there's 40 million people that live in California. So we only do direct to consumer in the state of California. Okay. We um, we use a smaller shipping company that gets a shipment to anywhere in California. They can get to like 98% of the state next day. Mm. So if you order a beer, we always post the beers on Friday. We start shipping on Monday. We only ship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because we know we can ship it next day. Mm -hmm. uh, we never ship on Thursdays just in case we miss the Friday. And we certainly never ship on Friday. And, um, and so we still are doing that. That's something that came out of the pandemic and uh, that we've continued to do. And we still ship a couple hundred cases of beer direct to consumer a week. And although it's significantly less than what we were doing during the pandemic, mm. it's still you know, really a great contribution to our, our bottom line. And we're really grateful that we're you know, able to do that. And we've always been able to do that. Um, and, and so that's the, you know, that for us was, was the freshness factor. You know, like, would we consider shipping farther yeah we probably would but someone's going to have to want to pay for it mm. because we're not just going to ship a 12 pack of pliny you know ground and suddenly we have to now use the main carriers and if and if you're going to ship it overnight or even today you know the shipping will be more than the actual beer itself yeah and you know and i'm i'm not you know I'm, I, I'm not on my pedestal thinking that we make the greatest beer like there's so much great beer in you know in in the country like if we were able to ship to, I'm just going to say a brewery that I really admire to Colorado mm. um, is like, well, 
You have great breweries there, though. You have Odell, like Odell IPA is amazing. You have Weldworks, which makes one of my favorite hazy IPAs. And so, like, do you, yeah, maybe it's a novelty or a one-off thing to get some Pliny, but, I, and I say at Colorado, we do we do distribute a little bit there. But anyways, I think you get the point yeah, that, like, yeah, there's yeah. so much great beer that, to me, the direct-to-consumer is probably would be, if we're going to ship a distance, it's more about shipping our funky barrel-aged, you know, beers that mm-hmm. don't have a, a temperature issue for shipping, whereas, you know, hoppy beers, we're really strict about that. And we, you know, working on ways to always better the way we ship. If it's a warm uh, uh, week, we won't ship at all. We just will pull it down and and not ship. So there are times during the summer that we won't ship. Uh, We have an insulated can shipping box where this winter we're going to work on an insulated bottle shipping box. So that when we ship bottles, they will be um, insulated, hopefully. So again, always trying to better the quality. It's not just our beer. It's not just our food. It's, it's our service. It's, you know, it's even our merchandise, you know, mm-hmm. making sure that we're using the the highest quality, you know, stuff and, and making sure that everything is, is just right. Yeah, and yeah. everything just meets our, our, our high Russian river standards. And, you know, over the years, we've become more of a technical brewery. You know, we started out, I started out as a home brewer and, you know, I, I don't have a formal brewing degree, but I've read a lot of books and a lot of technical articles. And like, you know, we've hired really smart, good people. And, um, you know, they quite honestly are smarter than, than me and, and they, but they help and contribute to, yeah. to being technical and everything is driven through our lab and we're very analytical. And, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that the, the, the heart, is, is left our beer. Our beer still has great soul and even more personality because we have more levers to, to pull and more tools in our toolkit to, to make great beer. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and like we like we said earlier, if the, if the quality is not there, then ultimately it, it all falls apart anyway, doesn't it? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're obviously, well, I say we're, I'm, I'm quite lucky that I've got sort of these these beers of yours that I, I haven't tried before. I'm I've, I've lucky that I've had Pliny before. I've not, unfortunately, not been over... Uh, to have it direct just yet, but fingers crossed, subject to how the world is yeah. uh, at some point in the near future, hopefully be able to get over. But I imagine it's the combination then of the quality and, like you say, the shipping and the cost that then it isn't a thing that you guys ship as far to, to the UK because obviously you have difficulties in your own country, let alone going international. I imagine it's the combination yeah. of those rather than the laws that are stopping you from, yeah. from doing that then. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is that we have a market here to fill, mm. you know, I mean, there's America is a big country. And so we're, you know, I know there are breweries that, that ship all their ship to beer all over the, the world, small breweries. Mm. Um, but we're really um, protective of our beer. We're almost like an yeah. overprotective parent, um, specifically from the standpoint of freshness with our yeah. IPA. You know, once it gets there, you know, we don't have a body on the ground to make sure that all of our beer is being kept cold. Mm-hmm. You know, that's typically not a part of the the beer culture in, in, in England yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and, in the EU and in most parts of the world. Um, and, and so that just doesn't really sit well with us. Um, so it's kind of a combination of, of everything of why, you know, we don't ship, even though we certainly know we have the brand and the, 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 the you know, the, the flavors that people want in their beer. Mm. Um, but it just doesn't fit our business model. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, you know, we're big proponents of drinking local yeah. as well. You know, there's, you, you can drink some really great hoppy, you know, American inspired beers in, in England and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, have some wonderful flavor profiles. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose in some respects, it's also the, the novelty of, like you say, having to come direct to you guys, if you, if you're lucky enough to get that, to, to drink it fresh from, yeah. from a keg or, you know, even a fresh bottle that was only, you know, yeah. bottled 
a few days ago. You know, like you say, it's kind of the novelty factor of that you can only do that by by going there. That's sort of almost like it's a the, not the holy grail almost, but like a not even a pilgrimage. Yeah. But you know, it's that sort of satisfaction oh. of having to go direct to, to get it almost, isn't it? We we like to think so, and obviously we don't expect everyone to do that because it's expensive. Yeah. But you know, we live in an interesting world because everyone, you know, especially with Amazon now, everyone thinks that they can get anything at any time you know, next day or mm. two days later. And, you know, that's, that's just not how small business is. Yeah. And, and that's not how, you know, the world works mm. in a bigger fashion. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just look at all these global supply chain issues we're having right now yeah, exactly. and how something that big is, is affecting businesses, small and large. Mm. And, um, you know, and so it's, um, I think it's it's good for consumers to remember, you know, how difficult it is for a small business to be open mm. and to have survived the last 18, yeah. you know, months or so to almost 24 months. And, um, you know, to to give give them a break, give your <laughs> server bartender a break, you know, the kitchen. I mean, everyone's at least here in the States, everyone is is working really hard yeah. and understaffed. Um, because there just aren't enough people in the workforce right now, or at least wanting to get into the workforce. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? Everyone's had a, a tough, like you say, nearly on two years now. It's, it's not. I don't think anyone can say they've had it easy, you know, in any, no. in any stretch, in you know, through mm-hmm. either losing a job no. or a business, or unfortunately, if it's a loved one, you know, no one's, no one's had it easy yeah. for these last 20, 24 months. Yeah, in in Southern California, we lost in you know when you take San Diego and Los Angeles combined, which is a big distribution area mm-hmm. for us. I think we lost four of our 10 top selling uh, accounts, draft accounts. So on-premise, I mean, like when we came out of the pandemic and the world started opening back up for on-premise consumption, it was a totally different um, canvas down there for us. I mean, seriously, our top, and they were, those aren't just, those were four of our top five and four of our, you know, 10 in total that were just, they were gone. They closed, they won't open back up. So it was, it was interesting coming back to that. And then you, then you have to say, okay, well, where is this beer going to go? Because those accounts were amazing. Mm. They, they treated our beer like gold. They, they poured it exactly the way we wanted it. They kept their lines cleaned and, and let's find the right places now to move that, allocate that beer. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it just shows how sort of, how fragile this, sort of this, this world is really. And, you know, businesses that you think uh you know mainstays they're not going to go anywhere you know all it takes is something it is a, a big thing obviously but even sort of post you know pandemic and coming back opening even just a, redu- a small reduction in the numbers and the footfall that they're getting through is is a massive and yeah. as a you know it, it goes up the chain like you say if they've shut or even if they reduce the amount they're buying from you then you've got to find somewhere else to sell that beer and then you might start reducing beer and you know it, it all has a a knock-on impact further down the chain doesn't yeah. it so it's yeah, yeah it's this whole hospitality and beer world is uh is at a kicking needless to say so yeah <laughs> it's uh it's tough but hopefully like i say subject to these new variants and things hopefully we'll uh start seeing signs of improvement and and promise yeah. very very shortly so um so i mean the only sort of the other things that i uh or one of the things actually which if we can can squeeze it in just before we uh, wrap up was your uh Planet the Younger um, release, which I know you do that annually, usually every sort of January time or the start of the year, which I know you released it last year, but obviously with the world how it was, you couldn't really have the sort of the the rollout of it as such in the bars and things. So subject to how the world is, a uh, uh, plans going maybe not full steam ahead, but tentatively ahead for, for next year's release? 
Yeah, we are, we are, we've announced that Planning the Younger will move forward as an in-person event, just like we've mm -hmm. done in the past. Last year, we did do it direct to consumer. So uh, we, we did 8,000 mixed packs that included a few bottles of, of Younger. Um, that was a, a mess, to be honest with you. We had 110,000 people show up wow. to our website trying to buy 8,000 of these boxes. We were being accused of, you know, of, of the, you know, basically making a marketing social media campaign yeah. out of it. And we, we absolutely did not expect that many people to, mm -hmm. to show up to want to buy a, a 12 pack of beer that had a few bottles of triple IPA. Um, you know, thankfully our website yeah. didn't crash, but the e-commerce didn't run as it, as it should have. But, uh, you know, again, that's Creating small business and you, you have to take <laughs> it as it comes. So anyways, that was, that was just a one-time deal. Um, you know, California is not going to shut back down. There's no way the economy can, mm. can handle that. You know, our vaccination rates are high enough here that, um, even with the new variant and it's, you know, it's, it's looking like it's not as, um, you know, it's contagious, but it doesn't affect you as much if you're vaccinated. So we will, we'll do an in-person event, just like we have done in the past at both our pubs. Mm -hmm. uh, Piney Younger is always released the first Friday mm -hmm. of February. So for this year, that's uh, Friday, February 4th. Uh, we'll welcome guests. Um, you know, once you get into Russian River Brewery during the Younger event, it's, business as usual for us. The only difference is we don't have standing room only. And, but the way, the way the younger release works is it's a, um, there often is a line to get in. Um, I still marvel at that, that, that folks wait sometimes in the rain. Um, you know, there's, there's often people that have come back seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. They're friends from around the country that make this their, you know, vacation, um, and, and it just really humbles and flatters Natalie and I, that they still, you know, do this. And this all started in 2010 when I showed up to the pub in Santa Rosa and, um, there was some people outside waiting. And this is, this is that, that first Friday, February, and it's seven in the morning. And I go out there and I'm like, Hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, Oh, we're waiting. It's like, for what? They're like, Whoa, well, you're releasing Planet of the Younger today, aren't you? I'm like, it's yeah, but it's, it's 7am and like. Yeah, you know, it's four hours from now we open and they go, oh, and, and while I'm talking to the first people in line, there's people like more people mm -hmm. walking up and I'm thinking, gee, what's going on? I'm like, I was like, well, why don't you just come back when we open? They're like, don't you know, like it's one of the top rated beers in the world. And I was like, by who? And they said, oh, I'm beer advocate, rate beer. You're like number one on rate beer, number two on beer advocate or whatever it was. I'm like, I've never even heard of these, these websites. That was the first yeah. time I'd ever heard of, of Ray Beer, Beer Advocate. So I, I talked to everyone. I go back in, I call Natalie. I think she was still asleep. I'm like, oh, I think you better start calling like the reinforcements. Send and, help. and that's how it got yeah. started. And, um, and it was all consumer driven, all social media. That was right at the beginning of the social media, you know, and, and so social media mm -hmm. had a lot to do with younger, but you know, it also goes back to quality. So anyways, we, we really kind of tightened up our game. Um, it's for two weeks now. Um, <clears throat> we allocate enough drafts. So we have enough draft at both pubs for two weeks. So we typically don't mm -hmm. run out any days. We now bottle it. It's a two bottle limit per person per day. If you want to wait in line for 14 days, um, by all you, means, you can yeah. get two bottles <laughs> each day. Um, we don't sell it in our gift shop. You have to go through the whole younger experience. Um, it's just the only way we can do it to, because it takes a lot of time, extra time to make the beer. The yields are way worse than mm -hmm. Pliny the Elder is. 
Um, but, uh, but it's a great experience. It's more of a Russian river experience. We always make sure we have a bunch of other great beers on. I always try to brew one or two beers that maybe we don't make that much, or I put something totally new out. Uh, this year, I'm going to be brewing a couple of one-off beers in the brew pub, um, right after the first of the year or in our R and D brewery that I'll make right after the first of the year that will be mm -hmm. for younger. Um, and then, you know, and then it's a, it's a three hour table limit. So, you know, no one will complain about that because everyone's pretty much waited yeah. in line. Um, and, and then, you know, everyone gets a wristband. They've got three tabs on it. So you get three 10 ounce pours of, of younger plus whatever else you want to buy and drink. Um, you know, local hotels give discounts and rates and, and that sort of thing. And um, it's turned into a big economic boom for Sonoma mm -hmm. County. Um, the last time we did an economic impact study, I think the economic impact for the two weeks of younger was like just under $5 million or wow. some crazy economic impact to the area. So, you know, during the slowest time of year mm -hmm. in wine country here, because there's tons of hundreds of wineries around us, um, you know, we're, we're right next door to Napa Valley, which is the more famous wine region. But Sonoma is just as engaged, and in some ways, um, I think you know, like certain varieties, like Pinot Noir, makes they mm. do a better job because the climate's better. But, um, anyways, I digress. Um, you know, it's a slow time of year yeah. for tourism here in general, so Planet of the Younger is kind of a, a shot in the arm. But, but you know, we also approach it, like I said earlier, with a little bit of paranoia. I tell our staff every year that, like, hey, some year we're going to show up and there's not going to mm -hmm. be anyone here. There are more and more great, amazing breweries in America, you know, that people can probably get mm -hmm. closer to home. And they don't have to make this pilgrimage. So, you know, make it, make it the, make the most out of it and make sure that, you know, everyone has the absolute best, most mm. amazing Russian river experience. And it's not just about younger, it's about the, the greater of what Russian river is and all these beers. And, you know, we'll make sure that we have some reserve sour barrel aged beers, maybe some aged uh, draft barrel aged beer on, on tap. And just to give, a little bit more, you know, when you're drinking beers as hoppy as a, like a triple IPA, there's nothing more refreshing than a, a just a little, even if it's just mm. a taster of a, of a tart, funky, something cool, whether it's got fruit or not, just to cleanse yeah. your palate. And then, and then you can go yeah, back yeah. to hoppy beers. But a funny, funny last, last story about younger, the, the veterans that come in for younger don't just go they don't just enter in and say, oh, I want to plenty of the younger. They actually start with our lesser hoppy beers mm. and work their way up. Because once you've drank a plenty of the younger, even plenty of the elder tastes yeah. thin and you can't, you almost taste no hops because mm. there's so much yeah, hops yeah. in the younger. Well, that's it. And the, you can't really keep drinking a triple IPA whilst you're there for, for the entire three hours that you're there. Can you really? It'll... You'll have some people <laughs> been rolled out, I imagine. <laughs> no, you know, and, and, and thankfully, you know, it's, it's funny because that's the one time of year when the parking lot is, is near empty, um, in Santa Rosa, because so many people, you know, yeah, in yeah. hotels and that sort of thing and, and whatnot, and, you know, lots of designated drivers. And it's, a, it's actually a quite responsible mm. event, um, because it is 10 and a quarter percent alcohol and, and, you know, everyone knows it and you're also not going to go wait in line and then do something stupid like in yeah, the car. Yeah. No, so. but that's it. And no, and yeah. that's it. Like you say, so if you serve it in responsible measures anyway, then it's all, all, uh, all, all fun and yeah. fun and games, and there's not too many people that are legless and, and causing bother anyway. But thankfully, like we said earlier, we, you don't really get that in the scene anyway, do you? So yeah, tell me real quick what beers you ended up with. I think your brother procured them. I know you said you had the STS, our which yes. is our Keller Pills. Um, 
that that's really quite nice. We only we only ferment that through open top fermenters, so it's pretty classic. Mm. But it, but it's got a Russian River note and it's dry hop. But what are the other beers that yeah. you have? Um, so we got the Blind Pig and the Happy Hops IPA, okay, um, and and a bottle of Pliny. Pliny, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so, so I kind of touched on it. You know, Happy Hops being what I call our progressive, not so hazy, hazy IPA. Pliny, mm. we talked a lot about, but Blind Pig is our unsung hero. That's our straight up West Coast goes back to my original brewery, Blind Pig Brewery. That's where the name is from. It's uh, six and a quarter percent alcohol, really firm bitterness. Um, a lot of the same hops as Pliny, but with more of a focus on the old school varieties like Cascade, Centennial, mm. Chinook. There's a little bit of Amarillo and Simcoe peppered in there. There's a little bit of crystal for that grapefruit note. Um, but um, yeah, it's, uh, that, that is the, that's actually our staff's favorite beer and that's our that's kind of like the brewer's beer and all all my brewer friends here in the states you know they they don't routinely drink pliny if mm. they went into a bar and there was pliny and pig they would pick probably pig almost 100 percent of the time yeah, yeah. um but it's 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 our unsung hero but um it's there we sell a lot of it and um and it's one of natalie and mine's favorite beers to still drink at home and and it's and it's still a, a modest one pound per barrel dry hop which that is truly pedestrian these days and um but we, we get a lot out of that one pound per barrel and, and at six and a quarter you know i wouldn't call that sessionable but it's definitely you know more sessionable than the eight percent that pliny is yeah, exactly. So, but no, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to them. Unfortunately, like I mentioned to you before we started recording, we're going doing some uh, Christmas shopping this evening, so I haven't been able to to dip in because I'll, I'll have the driving responsibilities this evening. Yeah. But once we get back, it'll be it'll be one of the two, the the pig or the happy hops. And after what you just said there, I can't quite decide which I'd one. Probably, be. I would probably do. Are you going to do just with you one tonight? Uh, I'd, I'd say how this evening goes. If, you do, if uh, you're going to do both, I would do drink pig first then happy hops because happy yeah. hops is, is although it's a little less bitter it's definitely more uh fragrant and hop mm. forward on the aroma and flavor yeah well so. i think i think that's that evening sort of then on that basis so uh, i'm not starting work tomorrow until later on so i don't have to worry about an early night this evening so nice. uh, so yeah well it's no, great, Vinny, it was great chatting with you yeah no it's, it's great and like i say, i really really appreciate you you coming back to me and taking the time out to, to yeah. do this so while uh I'll let you get off and uh, enjoy the rest of the day at the brewery. But uh, Vinny, thank you very much yeah. uh, for chatting with me and I'll uh, I'll speak to you again very, very soon. Good. Yeah, appreciate the time. Right. Cheers. Thanks. Yeah, no, cheers, Vinny. Thank you. Bye.